It's Friday, August the 6th, and you're listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm the Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Distinguished Policy Fellow in Journalism here at the Hoover Institution. While I can lay claim to that rather wordy job title, I'm not the only Hoover Fellow who's in the podcasting business these days. And rather than me chew up the great entirety of this podcast, reciting each and every podcast that we do at Hoover, probably simpler for you to go to Hoover's website, which is hoover.org, and click on the tab that says Publications and go to where it says Podcasts. And there you'll see the whole menu. We cover the policy waterfront, plain and simple. You can subscribe to any or all of them. You can also sign up for our monthly podcast. Blast, which delivers the best of our podcast to your inbox each and every month. Hoover Podcast, just one facet of ideas defining a free society. My guest today is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Dr. Bhattacharya, Dr. Jay to his friends and colleagues, is a professor of medicine at Stanford University, a research associate at the National Bureau of Economics Research. He's also a senior fellow at the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research and Stanford's Freeman Spoley Institute. Dr. Bhattacharya's research focuses on the health and well-being of vulnerable populations, with an emphasis on the role of government programs, biomedical innovation, and economics. His recent research focuses on the epidemiology of COVID-19, as well as an evaluation of policy responses to the epidemic. Dr. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bill. Nice to be here. So uh, before we get into the uh, nitty gritty of uh, COVID and the Delta variant, uh, why don't you just kind of quickly explain to folks what uh, epidemiological research is like? Are you just at all times uh, looking through a microscope at uh, funny looking viral strains? Are you studying history? Are you looking at data from around the world? Or is it sort of a compendium of all those things and more? Uh, for me personally, not very much microscope looking, a lot more data, data analysis. Uh, and in particular, in, in the context of COVID, uh, what I've done is uh, I've worked on uh, what are called seroprevalence studies. Uh, which seroprevalence means the, uh, how, much, how many people have evidence of antibodies in their blood of having been previously infected with COVID. I worked on a, a couple of those studies early on in the epidemic. Uh, you know, actually, I guess three studies of those early on in the epidemic. I guess that involves some lab work, but other folks did, not me. Um, most of the, most of, and then, then I've studied using data how effective lockdown policies have been in slowing the spread of the disease. That's pure data work. Um, uh, much of epidemiologic work uh, involves statistics, uh, detailed analysis of data, trying to untangle causation from correlation and th- a correlation from causation, things like that, that are just sort of the bread and butter of, of statistical work. Uh, but it's applied to I mean, this this matter of incredible importance, you know, COVID and, and what the right thing to do to court COVID is. Uh, so, Jay, we're going to call this episode Delta for Dummies. And that's Delta as in the COVID Delta variant and dummies as in your humble podcast host, yours truly. I'm neither an MD or a scientist, but I am perfectly suited to ask a lot of dumb layman questions. So bear with me, my friend, but here we go. Tell you what, epidemiologists have not done such a good job either. So I think you're going to be better than the most epidemiologists I've encountered, Bill. It's nice to hear a humble scientist these days. Uh, so first question, Jay, how does the Delta variant differ from the Alpha, Beta and Gamma variants? That's a great question. So, so first of all, uh, this is an RNA virus, right? So RNA is, is, uh, is uh, a genetic material. It's not DNA. DNA is, is a sort of more stable genetic material that, that encodes, you know, basically every, every protein that we are in our bodies and so on are encoded in DNA. But in order to make DNA, mm-hmm. uh, make, make proteins, what happens is the DNA gets translated into RNA, then the RNA translated into proteins. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the central dogma of biology. This virus is an RNA virus. That means it's a little clip of RNA floating around with a particular structure. You've all seen the, we've all now seen the, uh, the famous picture of it. It's like, looks like a ball with, with like little spikes all over the place. You right. know? 
Um, okay, so uh, the, the RNA viruses, when they copy, often there's errors in the copy. Mm -hmm. that, that's true in DNA too, actually, but but, but it's sort of easier to, you know, like more, le, less error prone in the copying than, than RNA. These, these are called mutations. I mean, that's, that's when that, when it, whenever that's all, all a mutation is, is the copying error. The virus enters your body, maybe one, one virion, maybe two, maybe three, I don't know. So let's say one, then it starts doubling. It enters a cell, hijacks the, the sort of uh, mechanism of the cell and starts copying itself. So you have two, four, eight, 16, 32. In those copies, there's going to be errors that are going to be introduced. Those errors are mutations. Most of those mutations, those errors, do bad things to the virus, mm -hmm. make it so they can't infect human cells. It, 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 it or it does nothing to the virus. It just, it, 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 it basically is just a, it's a, a, a mutation that literally changes the virus in its structure, but not in its function. Um, a few of the mutations uh, that, that have, that have emerged, these copying errors actually give the virus different functions. The alpha, beta, gamma, delta, that's a new nomenclature. Uh, the old nomenclature was, you know, the, the, the Brazilian variant or the, the UK variant that's based on where it was lit, where the, the, the first version of the, the, the copying error happened. Delta was Indian. Oh, Delta, Delta, Delta was, was Indian, Indian, right? So, but like, you know, I actually, I actually like the, 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 this Greek notation. It seems like it's just easier to, to, to keep track of. Um, the, the, the scientific agencies uh, around the world and, and, and in the US, but, you know, actually but I think the UK sort of has the best of these right now. Um, keep track of these copying errors that have become common in the population. A copying error that becomes common in the population means that the virus has gained some new ability relative to the other versions of the virus that came before. Mm -hmm. um, and this Delta variant seems to it be the, the, the earlier, the, the dominant variant in, in the year, the dominant variant was this UK generated alpha variant. Um, it was more infectious probably than the old version called the wild type version, variant, the wild type virus, wild type meaning the thing that came out of Wuhan originally. Um, and, and then, uh, uh, but didn't seem more deadly. The Delta variant is the same. In fact, the, the evidence is, it, it's, it seems like from the UK data that it's mildly more infectious, but not more deadly, possibly less deadly than right. the, the, uh, the, the previous uh, sort of mutations. So it's nothing, this is not something to fear. This is something to keep track of. The, the virus by its nature, because it is an RNA virus, it will have copying errors and it will have, uh, it will have these, these mutations arise, some of which may give it different functionalities. Um, the, 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 the functionalities that it's gained thus far and from the theoretical work that I've seen will continue to gain, it will may make it more infectious. That is, if I'm sitting in front of you with, uh, actively, you know, expressing the virus, it may take less dose for you to become sick than than the old one, but not considerably less thus far. I mean, nature uh, being what it is, Jay, if I wake up tomorrow morning and I feel like garbage, I'm going to think, oh my God, I have COVID. But what are the <laughs> tell symptoms of having COVID? I, I hear throat, hit, throat ache, headache, uh, loss of, of smell and taste. Are, are those really kind of the tells that you have it? Yeah, those are the most common. Now, actually, it's it's interesting. So from the ser the seroprevalence work that I did early, and actually now hundreds of studies now confirm this. Uh, if you ask people, um, you know, uh, who had this antibodies in their in their blood, well, what what symptoms have you had at all in the of of, of COVID like symptoms in the last you know three months? Uh, 
six months, whatever, they'll, a, a very large fraction of them will tell, they, tell you that they had no symptoms at all. Mm-hmm. Very large, meaning somewhere between 20 to 40%. Um, will tell you they have literally no symptoms. They did not even know that they had a, the, 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 the virus in them that generated the antibodies. So they have antibody evidence of having had the disease without any symptoms at all. So I think there's a very wide range of clinical presentations, 20 to 40%, literally no symptoms at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, lar- a, a very large fraction, maybe another 40, 50% uh, will have the symptoms you described, Bill. So yeah. cold-like symptoms with the additional loss of sense of taste and smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of which resolves after you know a few days. Uh, a small fraction of the cases will result will will will, will have these uh, will have a, a pneumonia, a viral pneumonia, right? That uh, that and then uh, and some of those will end up in the hospital, and some of those will die. Some of those folks will die. Uh, what what fractions are we talking about? From the seroprevalence studies worldwide, the, the evidence indicates that. Uh, the infection fatality rate is somewhere south of 0.2% or 99.8% survival Right. if you're infected. Uh, that's worldwide. I think in the US, it's slightly higher. Uh, in, in UK, it's slightly higher. In India, it's, it's lower. Uh, so it's, we're talking about worldwide, I mean. Um, the, uh, it, the, the, the virus has, uh, that's important, but the, that's not the most salient thing. Is that the virus is much more deadly for old people than it is for young people. That's the most salient aspect of the, as far as the policy goes for this virus. It's a thousandfold difference uh, for someone who's over the age of 70, the seroprevalence data, again, worldwide, suggests that the infection fatality rate is somewhere, somewhere like five, 6%, meaning 94% survival if you get, if you're over 70 and get mm-hmm. sick. Uh, for under 70, it's 0.05% or 99.95% survival. Uh, again, uh, it, it varies from country to country, but that's that's the worldwide uh, sort of norm. Um, and uh, if you're if you're uh, if you're a child, it's less dangerous than the flu. More children died last year of the flu than died last year of COVID. Mm-hmm. Even though the flu disappeared in the second half of the year, even though the flu has a had a had a, a good vaccine last year and COVID didn't. Okay, let's talk a bit about uh, the idea of breakthrough cases, Jay. Um, I'm very confused on this. I read stories that show just an incredibly low percentage of uh, breakthrough cases coming from Delta. Uh, I also follow baseball, Jay, and if you follow the New York Yankees in particular, the Yankees have a problem. Each week, somebody goes down with COVID, and you, it's the same story each time. A starting pitcher or a role player gets COVID. He has been vaccinated, but Jay, by my count, I think about six or eight Yankees have uh, come to, have been so-called breakthrough cases. They all claim to have been vaccinated, so this is like six out of 25, eight out of 25. So um, is this just an anomaly? Is this just a bunch of high profile people catching this? Or are they not being honest about being vaccinated? Uh, should we be worried about breakthrough? I'm, I'm just very confused when it comes to these stats. No, that's a good question. I, you know, for that golfer, poor guy, John Ram, who, who I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, but like he, he's. Yeah, he, he, yeah he, he got he got kicked out of one tournament and he couldn't go to the Olympics because he keeps retesting positive. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but he has no symptoms. Right. Um, uh, so, okay. So this, this is, uh, there, there's a lot involved in this, but like, let me just give you the bottom line first. Um, the the vaccine is an incredibly effective vaccine mm-hmm. at protecting you against severe disease mm-hmm. or death. Right? Mm-hmm. We talked about the range of outcomes from from being infected with COVID. The vaccine reduces the probability of getting that severe viral pneumonia very very sharply, so you don't end up in the hospital, you don't die. The vaccine, on the other hand. The vaccine is not a it does not seem to sterilize or neut- to the, the virus. In other words, you can still get the virus in you. Right. 
it, it most likely will cause either no, like no symptoms at all. Like I think John Ram literally had no symptoms. Uh, and many of those Yankees also had very, almost no symptoms. Um, right. But you can get the virus in you and you can test positive for the virus. Right. Um, now it's possible. And there are some cases where you have a, you're vaccinated and you get, it's not a hundred percent effective vaccine. That's like, you know, 90, 90, 95% effective in the clinical trials. So you can sometimes get the, the severe illness, but typically that's for somebody who has some immunologic condition that prevents them from, from getting a full vaccine response or, or, or something. I mean, that's, it's usually not, not a, a typical healthy person taking the vaccine. Um, in any case, the vaccine protects against the thing we care about, which is severe disease. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I, apparently, looking at different countries where that have had very high vaccination rate, uh, it doesn't stop the disease, for, it doesn't stop the disease from, uh, from, from you getting the disease or spreading the disease. That's right. still possible with the vaccine. And that's what a breakthrough infection. It's nothing to, again, nothing to fear. In fact, the vaccine has defanged the disease. It's turned the disease for something that has that 0.2% infection fatality rate to something that has a much lower infection fatality rate, uh, much in line with risk people normally take in their lives, you know, like driving to work. Okay, let's talk revaxing now, Jay. Back in May, I got vaccinated. Um, it was kind of a comical story. Um, I, uh, like you, am a uh, client of the Stanford healthcare system. I tried to get an appointment through Stanford system. I could not get one. Uh, at best, I could get a vaccination in Fresno, and I just did not see the wisdom in driving six hours for a five-minute procedure. I just knew that would drive me crazy. Enter my sister, Jay, who lives in South Carolina. She is a uh, nurse by education, kind of an angel in many ways. And so my sister, God bless her, uh, got me a vaccination in Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina does its act together better on vaccines in California. Go figure. Um, I went to a a pharmacy in South Carolina, walked in, uh, filled out some paperwork, showed my Stanford ID card, Jay. Uh, Literally, it took me to another room, rolled up my sleeve. A a pharmacist in training gave me the shot. I'd be very curious to see if California would allow pharmacists in training to do that. I seriously doubt it in our overregulated state. Anyway, I was in and out in five minutes with my Johnson & Johnson jab, and life was good. But here's the question, Jay. Uh, Earlier this week, San Francisco's Department of Public Health announced that if you receive the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in that city, then you're free to get a dose of the Pfizer Moderna vaccine. In other words, a booster shot. So here's my question to you. This is my dummy question to you. As I have the J&J jab, should I be looking to get another booster shot? There is no evidence at this point to suggest you need it. Mm -hmm. I don't, I have not, uh, I don't understand what the public health agencies, what data they're looking at. Uh, when When I look at the data, I continue to see uh, protection, both the J&J and the, uh, the, the Pfizer shots against severe disease. Right. I, I think that, well, let me just give up some speculation on this, on what's, what's motivating the public health agencies here. They have thought about the vaccine as if it were a sterilizing vaccine, that mm-hmm. it would prevent you from getting the disease at all, mm-hmm. that there'd be no break. And it may be that for the first couple of months or something after you get the vaccine, that it serves that role. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. I, the data are, 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 are difficult to interpret on this point. Uh, but it's clear at this point, uh, that, and you saw this from the CDC, the CDC is now like shifted its messaging toward what the data is saying, which is that at, at some point that the vaccine stops being able to protect against disease spread. Right. And against infection. Um, so the, the, when they're asking you to get a, a booster, what they're, what they're trying to say is, look, we, we don't think the vaccine any longer stops disease spread. We want you to get it back another shots that will stop the disease spread. Um, but that's the wrong goal. Stop trying to stop the disease from spreading 
with a vaccine that is effective at, for two or three months or whatever at stopping disease spread is, is means just con continually exposing yourself to the side effects of the vaccine. That is not worth the trade-off when you are already protected with the vaccine against severe disease. Uh, by the way, can I, can, I, can I make a comment if you if I can about the, the, the California vaccine rollout? Uh, I completely agree with you, Bill, about the, the, the how botched it was. Uh, my mom, who's 80, lives in Los Angeles County. Uh, she was not, she couldn't get the vaccine uh, until March of this year. In Florida, 100% of the people living in nursing homes were offered the vaccine by, by January of this year. That's why the Florida death rates, are, even though they have such a high uh, number of old people in the, in the state, were low relative to many states, um, certainly low relative to California. Uh, whereas California, it, for various, I mean, also, like I, I, I work in the medical school. I don't see patients. I do research full time. Um, I was offered the vaccine in December because I'm a professor in the medical school. That is a waste of a vaccine dose that should should be gone. And I didn't take it because I didn't feel right taking the vaccine before my mom. I waited until after she was vaccinated in, in mid March before I took it. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I think just we as a state botched it because we didn't understand the key fact about this disease, which is that it hurt. It, it is much more deadly for the old than it is for the young. Mm -hmm. On the South Carolina model, Jay, it was very simple. My sister went on the website. She typed in her zip code, up came a menu of nearby pharmacy. She found the one five minutes from her house appointment. She did that in like under five minutes. Uh, here in California, you probably read the stories of people who would have to get on the website at midnight and go fiercely hunting, hoping they could get in, constantly refreshing, refreshing. It's like going on to Nordstrom or some sale and trying to, <laughs> try to get or buy tickets and, and to a concert, if you will. But yeah. my mom doesn't know how to use the internet very well. I mean, like- Precisely, just, that's a problem. Like it's, you know, I just- uh, I, I, I mean, it's one of these things where like it's designed to like let a tech savvy 30 year old get get on long before an 80 year old grandma. Mm -hmm. OK, let's get into the big ones now. Mandates. I know you have some thoughts on mandates. First of all, Jay, here in the Bay Area, we now have indoor mass mandates. Why? Um, I, I, OK, so let's just take it from the from the like, like it, this is a complicated question, but I think the, the, the very simplest answer is that the evidence that the, the vaccines don't stop disease transmission mm -hmm. has spooked the public health authorities, mm -hmm. right? So initially they thought it did. And so they made the, they, 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 I think in May, they said, look, you don't need, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a, a mask indoors, or I forget the exact date, but they, they, they said that because they thought it stopped disease transmission. Mm -hmm. The evidence emerging of these breakthrough infections, I think has spooked the public health authorities and now they're going back to the masks as a way to stop the disease from spreading. Mm -hmm. um, from what I can tell of the evidence, first, there's no randomized evidence that the masks actually stop the disease from spreading at all. There's none, literally not one randomized trial shows any efficacy of mass wearing in this is Stopping disease, and, that, and that's using a very fancy N95 mask, not the fashionable yeah, plastic. Uh, that, there's eight, there's like twelve, at least a dozen studies of even N95 masks in hospital settings and other places where people are trained to use them in the co context of the flu. Again, randomized evidence yeah, which okay. show that it's the masks don't work as source control uh, for the flu. None, no randomized evaluations at all in the context of COVID. Um, the, the other the other thing about the mass uh, about mass is that if you look at the correlational data, I mean, look, we've had in the U.S. near ninety plus per percent compliance with masks through almost all of the, the fall and winter of last year, mm -hmm. in almost every state. 
Um, and there's almost no, like the, the disease continued to spread anyways. Right. So the idea that, that masks, if they're, they, and there's one randomized study, a single randomized study that evaluated whether masks protect you against COVID. It's a study that was done in Denmark. Uh, it was a, a, it was a relatively small study, but still it was randomized. It was, I think from my, my eyes, fairly careful. Um, and it found no efficacy, like no statistically significant efficacy of masks. If you compare the efficacy of masks versus a vaccine from that study in protecting you against the disease, vaccines are like 95% effective, 90, 95% effective uh, versus again, versus severe disease. Uh, the masks in those studies were 14% effective against preventing you from getting this mild version of the disease. Uh, and that wasn't statistically significant. So I just, I don't, I think the, if you look at the numbers, uh, the, the, the data, I don't think like people think about masks, like I, I think the reason the public health authorities go to masks is they can't think of anything else. And they have it in their head that there's no cost or no harm from mandating masking. Uh, but why do they think that? Like what evidence leads them to think that? I think in children, for instance, uh, how do you teach a five-year-old to read with a mask? Or if you're, if the teacher's wearing a mask, the child's wearing a mask, you, like watching lips move, watching facial expressions is a very important part of teaching young, young children how to read, how to react, learn how to react it, you know, emotionally, you know, live, live in society. Um, there's all kinds of potential harm from masking that we shouldn't be thinking about. And I'm going to give you one on adults. Masks have divided people. We've turned this the, the public health is never supposed to do this, but this is what they've done. They've turned mask wearing as a signal of, of, of virtue. So if I wear a mask, I'm a good person. If I don't wear a mask, I'm not a good person. That's essentially the signal that the, the public health authorities are sending. And it's created this division in society where we have these like conflicts on airplanes over someone not wanting to wear a mask. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's the opposite of public health. Public health is supposed to unite, not divide. These masks, I think, serve to divide, again, with no randomized evidence whatsoever that they work on, on source control, 18 months of the epidemic. I'm glad you mentioned airplanes, Jay, because airports are really kind of the best place to study masks, if you will. I was flying the other week. I know you fly as well. And uh, what do you see when you fly through a big airport right now? You see some people dutifully wearing a mask. In fact, I always joke with people, you can tell where the San Francisco flight is, the Los Angeles flight, because everybody is masking. The last time I flew, Jay, I kid you not, there were two people sitting across from me. They were wearing two masks and a face shield. And actually, the husband went off to get a box of tissues. Now, I shouldn't mock them too openly. Maybe they had a serious medical issue, but they just struck me as just very kind of paranoid people, if you will. So there are people who dutifully wear a mask, Jay. There are people who just do the opposite. They don't wear a mask. And then there's that group of people who are in between. They either wear a mask and they kind of hang it off their yeah, nose and they're not covering, or they're kind of wearing it around their neck like that photo you see a Cuomo online right now, sort of like a like a you know kerchief look. So it's you look at this, and of course, there's nobody in the airport enforcing this, telling people to put on the mask or not. So you look at that and you kind of wonder, why are we bothering with this if we're you know all not going to do it and we're not going to enforce doing it? I mean, I think the key thing about disease control in this, for this, a disease like this is not personal mask wearing. The key thing is ventilation. Mm -hmm. If you are in a well-ventilated environment, outdoors, for instance, or even, even indoors with good, good uh, you know, filters or whatnot, right. um, the disease don't, won't spread very effect efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, and airplanes, you're 30,000 feet in the air, you're the it's you're hit by cosmic you know radiation rate like uh, that, that that it activates the virus um I, I think a lot of this a lot of the mask wearing and you've identified it really well bill is a set like for most people pe some some people wear the mask because they think it protects them 
Right. Some people actively don't want, uh, like, in order to defy authority, you know, like I'm, you know, like the punk rockers of old, they 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 say, "Screw you, I'm not wearing it." Right. Most people wear it just so that they don't get hassled. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the norm I've seen, even in California. But and I but I do agree with you. There's a larger number of the. I think it protects me and protects you version version in california but maybe jhs nature where you and i live but just um it just always strikes me as just just rather curious for example you you ride your bike to work every day so i'm very curious when you ride your bike how many people are wearing a mask while they're pedaling away that's nonsensical (laughs) what happens to me jay i like to go for long walks i like to try to get in ten thousand steps it means i walk for an hour an hour and a half i'm a slow old man and what happens almost every time i do this jay i'm walking down the street i'm walking down a bike path a trail or something like that somebody's coming in the opposite direction we're not on a collision course you know we keep our respectful distance when i get close to them what happens invariably they reach to their pocket they pull out a mask put it over their mouth it's like our older listeners know this it's like i'm pig pen and you know peanuts and i've got a cloud around me of COVID (laughs) drop on them and then i look over my shoulder and I pass by in the moment as passed, they take off their mask and put it back in their pocket. So I don't know if this is paranoia. I don't know if it's misinformation, just not understanding the nature of the beast, but it's just, it wears on you. Yeah, Bill, I mean, I think, I think it's fear, right? And, and yeah. uh, the public health authorities have done everything in their power to gin up this fear. Mm-hmm. And it's had unfortunate, I mean, terrible consequences on human relations. We, uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of like calmed down a little at the, uh, it, this, you know, sort of in the spring of this year. But, uh, but in the, in the, like through much of the epidemic, we have been trained to look at each other as if we're just vectors of infection, bags of germs, rather than fellow human beings that we need to, you know, we, I, you know, I, I just, I don't, I think it's just the, 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 the nature of what, what uh, the, the, the message the public authorities are sending is that the nature of other people is dangerous to you. Right. And that is just not right. It's not right. First, epidemiologically, we, it, you can manage the danger in other ways. In the context of other epidemics where there really is a very high risk of mortality relative to COVID, we haven't worked to treat people that way. Like in HIV, we worked really hard to destigmatize the disease. Uh, stigmatizing Infections, stigmatizing disease in this way undermines social relations in a pernicious way that is very difficult to undo. Right. Uh, to create classes of people as if they're a clean class and an unclean class is going to have and already has had very, very bad effects on social relations that are going to be hard to undo. And I don't, I don't really understand how, why public health thought that it was a good idea to do that. It, it, as far as I understand, that violates standard norms of public health, you, you right. instead of stigmatizing disease, you provide care and, and comfort for the, per, the person that's sick. Um, you work to protect the vulnerable, people you know to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the rest of society, you let people, uh, you, you, don't, you don't stoke excess fear above and beyond uh, sort of what the data suggests. Uh, we've done yeah. Good. Go, go I was going to say, let's continue with mandating, Jay. Uh, New York City has now uh, mandated proof of vaccination for such simple things as entering a restaurant or a theater or a gym. Uh, Los Angeles City Council is considering this. Uh, by the time uh, people are listening to the podcast, they may have done the same. Um, you have called vax mandates. So you have an interesting word for this. You call it unethical. Why, why did you choose that word, unethical? It's deeply unethical, Bill. And I don't mean that any vax mandate at all. I think vax mandate in particular for this COVID vaccine in this, in this context. Right. Um, so uh, first I think it's, it's discriminatory. So like who doesn't get, who hasn't gotten vaccinated? It's this, you know, the, the most vax hesitant people tend to be people who got the disease and recovered from it. 
because mm-hmm. they were essential workers during the epidemic, asked to bear the burden, the, the, the sort of the epidemiologic burden of this disease, while right. many of the rest of us got to sit at home with with uh, and, and get delivery. It was somebody did the delivering, someone packed the food, someone did all of the work, and many of them got sick. And now uh, they're 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 they're, in, they're effectively protected against the disease again. It's as effective as a vaccine, getting sick and recovering. And of course, you had to go through the risk of the severe disease with COVID. So it's not wise to do that. But that is it is it is a fact. We have you know I I, I estimated maybe a hundred million people that have gone through this that have been infected um, and recovered. Um, many of those are minorities, right? So and uh, you look at the vaccine hesitancy numbers. It's minority populations that are often. Uh, vaccine hesitant. The the uh, New York City's ma- mandate and vaccine passport system, in effect, discriminates against those people. Discriminates against minorities. Basically, says you can't. I, I, I you can't enter restaurants. You can't enter uh, uh, any public place at all, even though you may be immune because you've had the disease before and recovered and you're just vaccine hesitant because you know the vaccine doesn't help you very much if you're already if you're already immune. Uh, where do you see the mandates go? Do you, do you think we're just uh, do you think this is a snowball going down the hill now it's just going to go into larger mandates because this is a big issue facing the Biden White House right now and I, I want to get to Joe Biden next. Yeah, I mean I think I think uh, it's going to be a big political battle. I, I don't I like the uh, Governor DeSantis for instance will not institute a mandate under any circumstances. He, in fact, he, I think he uh, put in help, help get a law passed in Florida that uh, mm-hmm. prohibits even uh, p- private businesses from instituting mandates or right. or, or passports. Um, the the uh, so I think there's going to be a massive red and blue state divide on this. Uh, and I don't think, uh, let, let, can, can I come back to the, before we get to the politics, let me come to the economics of it, because the economics are interesting here. If the vaccines don't prevent people from spreading the disease, which seems like that's true in, in all, all the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in economics, we have this notion of ex- externality, right? Right. Uh, if the I, the I notion is if I get the vaccine, I'm generating a positive externality because I'm reducing the probability that I'm going to infect others. But if it's no longer true that you generate this positive externality by being vaccinated, what is the logic for the mandate? There just there just isn't one, right? The vaccinated people can spread the disease. Unvaccinated people can spread the disease. Uh, and if you know if you've recovered from the it's, the evidence is if you recovered from the, from COVID, you may be able to spread the disease, but but pretty low rates because um, you know you're you're protected against the disease. It's like the vaccine. Um, there's no distinction. There's no economic distinction between the vaccinated, and the unvaccinated who've recovered from the disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is the externality argument that says we should have a mandate? What public health or economic purpose is served by this kind of discriminatory mandate? There just isn't one. Um, at, you, all, at this point, all it is, it's serving to, again, to, to divide society into a class of clean and unclean people, mm-hmm. where the, the unclean people tend to be poor, poorer. Uh, more likely to be minorities and clean people who were you sat home with with masks, double masked and and uh, on on Zoom all day long. Uh, it is it is deeply unethical and it's a vision of society that we should reject. Jay, I want to read to you a quote from Joe Biden. This is the uh, July fourth ceremony on the South Lawn of the White House. Uh, the White the White House press release boldly calls this celebrating Independence Day and uh, independence from COVID nineteen. And here's the passage that interests me. Uh, Biden said the following, quote, so today, while the virus hasn't been vanquished, we know this. It no longer controls our lives. It no longer paralyzes our nation. And it's within our power to make sure it never does again. 
Uh, I'm guessing he would like to maybe have a mulligan and a do-over and take away the first part of that. But catch what really has me interested here, Jay, is this, this thought, it's within our power to make sure it never does again. What, what do you think Joe Biden was getting at there? Okay, so let me give you the positive spin, and then let me give you the, the negative negative interpretation. So the, the positive interpretation, and this is how I heard that message when I first heard it, um, we, we have done an incredible thing with this virus that we all should be celebrating. Mm-hmm. The vaccine has defanged this virus. It's right. turned this virus, which used to be a very deadly thing for old people, into something much, much less deadly. Uh, and for, for the uh, so, and we've been incredibly successful. The Biden administration has been incredibly successful at rolling the vaccine out. Uh, at this point, I think it's eighty some eighty plus eighty five eighty five percent of the people over sixty five have been double vaccinated. Something right. on that order. I don't know the exact. I didn't look at the exact numbers, but something on that order. Eighty five percent. That is an absolutely remarkable achievement. First, to to produce the vaccine in less than a year. Mm-hmm. Right. That was the, That's the. Uh, that's a a, a huge. Um, achievement of the Trump administration. They made a bet that the, that the vaccine would work, put billions of dollars into it, and it worked. They actually produced this vaccine. And then the Biden administration has rolled the vaccine out to the older population. There were fits and starts. I think we could have done it better here and there, but, I, but that, well, that's not lip pick. I mean, at this point, we have protected the vulnerable population with this vaccine. In less than a year and a half, in about a year and a half, we have defanged this disease, something that would, 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 would have caused much more death and harm, thanks to the both parties, uh, actions of both parties, we've had a huge success. We should. Uh, so when I heard, first heard President Biden say that, I thought, and very reasonably, I thought he's he's celebrating the success. Mm-hmm. We have uh, accomplished focus protection. We should be declaring this as a, an enormous success and victory, which it actually is in historical terms. Right. Uh, now, there's another negative way to look at that. You can also, and I think this has started to come out, I think a little bit, is, is to say, look, uh, we have it in our power to make the disease go away, to make the disease disappear right. off the face of the earth. Um, that's false. We have to come to terms with the fact that we have to live with this disease. It is a, it's now joins one of the, the, uh, the 200 other pathogens that, that, that infect humans um, that we live with, you know, lived with long before COVID and we'll continue to live with you know, in, in coming years. It just joins one of those. It's now the fifth circulating coronavirus. Mm-hmm. In coming years, no matter who you are, you are going to get infected with this. Right. It's better that you, if 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 you haven't been infected yet, that you get, that you have the vaccine on board so that it, it you're protected against severe illness when you get infected. Mm-hmm. But not only will you get infected, you'll get infected multiple times. Uh, instead of stoking fear around that fact, uh, we should be telling people about the great success. The vaccine protects you against severe disease. Uh, we should be so. I think. I think that. I think that is the, this notion that we can get rid of the virus has been at the root of much of the bad policy that uh, that, that that we've that that we've seen over the year. That somehow, like, uh, we can eradicate it if we just work hard enough. Maybe um, he's getting. Other- Maybe he's getting at something else, Jay. You know, this uh, interesting historical landmark coming up um, this coming week, uh, 100 years ago, uh, 1921, uh, this is the week FDR contracted polio. And if you look at the polio timeline, uh, polio ravages people. And then in the 1950s, the vaccine comes along. Dr. Salk does his, does his miracle. But so you're talking a 30-year lag between someone like Franklin Roosevelt getting polio and a cure, a prevention for it coming along. So maybe that's what Biden is getting at here. He's suggesting that now we're on a march where we're going to eradicate this thing. But you're, you're shaking your head as I look at your own video. This is a different creature, right? Yeah. So first of all, uh, polio is... Uh, it, 
basically only harbored by humans. There's no right. non-human reservoirs. Right. Uh, we actually have made an enormous, the vaccines for polio are quite good. They do prevent disease spread. Mm -hmm. um, and we've made an enormous amount of, of progress in, in, in slowing the spread of, of polio so, such that it's only basically endemic in places like uh, Pakistan, I think is the, is the is, is, we were actually on the verge of eradicating it. Most of the versions of polio, weirdly enough, uh, that, that are circulating in human populations are actually not polio itself, but the polio, the oral polio vaccine. Right. It's disease caused by the oral polio vaccine, um, which was a live, a live attenuated virus. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really what's left for polio. Polio, we might actually be able to eradicate. In, in history, we only eradicated a single human disease, a smallpox, by, by concerted action. And that took 50 years or longer, actually. Um, th now this disease is, I mean, supposedly we got it from bats, right? But, but, it, but you find it in, in cats, you find it in dogs, you find it in mink, you find it in many, many, many mammals. Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to throw one at you, Jay. The USDA just did a study. They, uh, they studied 385 white-tailed deer in Michigan, Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania. 40% of that population, Jay, uh, may have had COVID antibodies. <laughs> so, so do we not have to go round up Bambi and get rid of Bambi? Or? <laughs> we have a better, you're telling me, Bill, we have a better serologic nationwide survey for serology for deer than we do for the, for Americans themselves. It was just, that's, that's, but, but no, but I actually, but actually I saw that and I thought, my God, people are going to panic and think every deer they see now, if they're going down a trip, <laughs> getting back to my sister in South Carolina, it's a very healthy deer population in her, in her housing development draws her nuts, by the way, uh, deer are not that wonderful neighbors to have. They chew up stuff, but, but the thought, if you read a headline saying 40% of the deer population get have COVID, Oh my God! Let's kill all the deer. <laughs> I mean, or cats, or dogs. I mean, I, I I think the idea that we can eliminate this disease is a fantasy, a very very destructive fantasy, and we should we should disabuse ourselves of that notion. We cannot get rid of this disease. It's now endemic in the human population. Um, now we should be, but at the same time, it's not. It's no longer something to fear. We have defanged this disease. Right. The vaccine, it's not, it, it, actually, frankly, we shouldn't have been using fear as a standard. Uh, you know, the, the UK actually has a scientific group called SAGE with a subcommittee up for behavioral change that intentionally stoked panic in the population as a part of a propaganda campaign. Admitted it. You can look in their Telegraph articles that now show that the, 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 the document this. Um, to do what to keep people from socializing or to yeah keep to keep people, people to, in order to like make sure people social distance and fear the disease well enough. Uh, I, I think I think that 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 needs to stop immediately mm -hmm. because it's not consistent. First, it's not it's never a productive thing to do. Like you you instead you give people tools for managing the the, the actually managing the risk that they face. Uh, mm -hmm. That's that's much closer to right. Uh, and then second, it, it, it creates a social division. But third, and probably most importantly here, it we've defanged the disease. We actually have have a fantastic vaccine that protects against severe disease. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we create fear that, about getting the disease, create guilt in people. Oh my God, I got COVID. I wonder where did I get, who did I get it from? What did I do wrong? That's not the right response to getting a respiratory infection. Right. Respiratory infection spreads very, very easily, you know, even before the Delta variant, it spreads very, very easily. Um, and it's very hard to tell where you got it from. It's very almost impossible to protect yourself unless you go to, unless you, unless you essentially become a hermit and th then you need other people to 
sort of uh, sort of let that lifestyle actually happen, right? I mean, who do do need to get uh, exposed to the the, the disease? Um, the, the, the the this is not a, a tenable situation where we we create this fear. We have to like work to mitigate the fear in the population about this disease, and it's consistent with the data and the success of the vaccine. So I hope that the Biden administration and CDC changes its tack. What I see now is that they are using, they're trying to, they still have it in their head that we can get rid of the disease altogether. I mean, epidemiology, that's just not right. We, we cannot get rid of this disease. Uh, the, the history of, even, even if you get rid of it in one country, Bill, if that, well, every country would have to get rid of it or else get reintroduced. You're seeing that with New Zealand and Australia. Right. I think seven, seven or six or eight, I lost count of how many times they've locked down after they declared success of zero COVID. Um, so now they have like a military cordon around all the, all the neighborhoods of Sydney. So you can't walk, you know, two kilometers out of your house, three kilometers outside of your house or whatever. And there are protests and counter protests to this. And it's really not a very pretty picture in Australia. This would be a good moment to talk about a government here in the USJ in this regard. Uh, full disclosure, you advised Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Yes. Um, Ron DeSantis and Joe Biden have uh, had quite a dust up this week. Uh, it's been very personal uh, coming from the White House. Uh, questioning uh, the Florida governor's approach to COVID. Uh, DeSantis, who doesn't suffer fools gladly, uh, has responded very strong and kind. Uh, and again, very tough words, the effect of uh, why don't you get control of the border before you start lecturing me on COVID. Um, this is very harsh language between government leaders. Um, if it is as simple as to say, Jay, that there is a, you're either on team DeSantis, you're on team Biden right now. Uh, what does it mean to say you're on team DeSantis? And by that, I mean his approach to COVID. So I think his uh, this is not something I came up with, but this is something he he uh, he, he likes is uh, is uh, he calls it freedom over Fauciism. Okay. Right. By by Fauciism, he means uh, closures of schools, uh, closures of businesses, forced mass mandates, forced uh, uh, vaccine passports, forced forced vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, the whole uh, and then the, sort of the fear based messaging around COVID. Uh, he's rejected all of that. The results of that are that Florida has the uh, has had lower age-adjusted COVID mortality than California, which has followed all of those guidelines as anyone who's lived in the state can remember. Mm. Um, we, 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 my children for a year and a half had an incredibly abnormal version of schooling. Mm. You know, most of the year they weren't in person at all. And even when they were in person, they were on Zoom with the teacher in the room. Right. Uh, with mass social distance, with like fear to playing, playing with their, playing with their classmates, or you know, h- hanging out with their classmates, all of that, not, not, not very little of that happened in Florida last year. They met one hundred percent in person in school last year. Uh, right. Uh, so uh, this this is a, this political dust up. I mean, I think that like the Biden administration here is trying to use this as a political tool. This difference in res- response. But the science doesn't suggest that the that the, the if you the the response that California followed, which essentially was Fauci's recommendations, produced any better results. In fact, quite the contrary. Uh-huh. The age-adjusted mortality rate from COVID is lower, and the lockdown harms are that the also lower in Florida because they didn't have the kind of lockdown that California had. Right, they lifted the lockdowns in October altogether of last year, and uh, in May, much of it in May, the year before, uh, the you know May 2020 as well. So what you have is a situation where 
the, the data don't correspond to the, 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 the don't, don't, don't suggest that the, the Fauciism response was actually particularly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I think Biden is trying to use the 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 the, the, the differences in responses rather than the differences in outcomes as a political tool. He's trying to create this red blue situation when he shouldn't be doing that. He should instead be celebrating the success of Florida and actually, frankly, even the success of California in vaccinating the old population. Finally, right? So we, we are now protected. It's a great, and I, I'm, I don't do politics for a living. You know way more about politics than I will ever know, Bill. Um, but I don't understand. It seems like it's, it, here you have a situation where uh, both parties can claim a huge victory. And instead of this sort of political infighting over uh, interventions that have very marginal evidence to speak for them, if, if, if any, uh, instead we should be celebrating the, 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 the enormous victory you've had over this, this virus. Well, it look in politics, you always need a you always need a foil. Uh, that's one way to look at this. The administration needs a foil. DeSantis is a very inviting foil. Why? If Trump doesn't run for president. He could very well be the nominee. So it adds up on that. And also, Florida is just always kind of easy target for people to make fun of the media. But in politics, Jay, you do live in the here and the now. I'm going to give you three headlines from the last 24 hours, and I want you to walk me through these. Headline from CNN: Florida COVID-19 hospitalizations up 13% from previous peak in July 2020. Headline from CBS News, 135 children hospitalized for COVID in Florida. State sets new overall hospitalization record. Finally, from The Guardian, take this for what you will. Quote, the Pied Piper leading us off a cliff. Florida governor condemned as COVID surges. Okay, so COVID uh, is very clearly a seasonal and geographic, geographic and seasonal patterns, right? right? So it's not a coincidence that much of the South has uh, had a rise in COVID cases uh, at the same time. Right. Uh, it'll it'll move to the north in the fall, just like it did last last fall. Right. North, it'll move to the Midwest in the fall again. The cases will rise. Um, the the cases sometimes produce hospitalizations. Uh, some of it is is artificial because you you have to, if you get you know, the main treatment. None of the main treatments people use for severe COVID is is remdesivir, which you have to get infused in. The, mostly you have to get infused in the hospital. So right. I mean I, I don't know. The, the, but what that the, what they're missing, what these headlines are missing, is the key fact. If you look at the rise in cases. In past waves, before we had vaccinated the old, you would see deaths that followed. Mm-hmm. You are not seeing the deaths follow this time. Right. Uh, the same thing happened in Sweden. You can look at the data in the spring of Sweden. Sweden actually had very low vaccination rates, but they used every dose on old people. And they had a massive wave of cases in spring that went up and then down, uh, And th- but the deaths didn't follow. Deaths and cases had been decoupled from one another because of protection of the old. With the vaccines. Um, the same thing just happened in the UK, an enormous wave of cases uh, that, 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 that peaked, <laughs> funny enough, ironically, on the day of Freedom Day, the day they opened up their, uh, their, their, their they lifted the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And the, as the, they lift the lockdowns, the cases plummet, huge wave of cases. That's interesting, but that really not the key fact. The key fact is, again, deaths did not follow that massive wave of, de- of, of, uh, of cases. Uh, the same thing is happening in the American South right now. Um, you're seeing a rise in cases, which you expect from a, a respiratory disease that, uh, that has this seasonal geographical pattern. Right. But you're not seeing deaths. Deaths in cases have decoupled. Tracking cases is, is journalistic malpractice at this point. It right. only serves to uh, stoke fear rather than giving people good information about how they should be living their lives. 
Yeah. So this goes back, Jay, to my earlier Delta for Dummies question. I'm 61 years old, Jay. Um, I don't have major health issues. I guess my doctor would say cholesterol would be my major concern in terms of something that could take me out. But I don't have respiratory problems. I don't have circulatory problems. Uh, I'm a regular, rather, rather healthy male, I think, all said and done. So what are the chances of the Delta variant striking me down? I don't mean contracting, but I mean, Actually, yeah, so so like, a, like, like I can, uh, there's a very simple rule of thumb before the vaccine. So before the vaccine, um, uh, 50, a 53 year old, uh, a 60 year old male mm-hmm. has about a 0.4% infection fatality rate. Zero, zero 0.4%. Yes. So okay. four in a thousand chance of death mm-hmm. if you were to get COVID right. or get infected. Um, Every seven years of age, that doubles or half. So a 53-year-old male uh, would have a 0.2% chance of dying. A a 67-year-old male would have a 0.8% chance of dying if they were getting. Now, that's before the vaccine. The vaccine takes that and reduces the probability of death just just as a rule of thumb, let's say 100-fold, somewhere between 50 and 100-fold. Right, uh, you take more risk, Bill, when you go for your ten thousand step walk, than than if than than COVID. Exactly. Um, and uh, I very strongly recommend keep that you keep doing the walking. That's good for you. That's right. So it's I'm just uh, as you were saying that I was looking up uh, just the chances of, for example, uh, being attacked by a shark in the U.S. It's one in five million. So in my dummy layman turns, if you're telling me that I have a four in one thousand chance of. Of, of getting fatally struck down by this, the odds are in my favor. Uh, yeah, but in the course of the vaccine, you're protected even beyond that. Right. Okay. Uh, final topic area. Let's talk about research, Jay. Um, Eli Schwartz, he's an Israeli researcher, founder of the Center for Travel Medicine and Tropical Disease. This is at the uh, Sheba Medical Center, which is near Tel Aviv in Israel. Uh, he conducted a randomized controlled double-blinded trial. He found that a drug called, I'm going to butcher the name of it, I apologize, ivermectin, I believe the name of it, uh, I-V-E-R-M-E-C-T-A-I-N, if you want to Google this at home, ivermectin. It's a drug uh, used to fight parasites in third world countries. Uh, he found that it could help reduce the length of infection for people to contract COVID and J it cost all of a dollar a day to use. So why aren't we hearing more about, for example, ivermectin in the conversation, or is this just the fact that research takes time and just, you know, it does a process here. There's a big scandal here at the center of what that question, Bill. Um, so I, I can't answer your question about whether ivermectin is effective. Right. Uh, I mean, I've looked at the, the trials, there are many trials actually now, randomized trials have been done in places like Iran, uh, uh, you know, I think I think there's I think I saw one in Kuwait. I mean, there's there's pl- like non-traditional places that have done trials that mm-hmm. seem to indicate that it, that it protects against severe disease mm-hmm. if you take it early. Mm-hmm. Um, these trials, uh, you know, like when you look at medical uh, evidence, you uh, trials are generally good, but you yeah, these are, they tend to be small trials. So you want to sort of mix all these trials in in a big meta-analysis study to try to, try to make sense of them. The mm-hmm. meta-analyses that I've seen indicate that ivermectin it is protective against severe disease, against against death, for instance. Like I think of sixty, like the, there's a study that I just saw that's like a, a meta-analysis, sixty percent reduction in mortality. Right. But the trials there's not sufficiently number of people enrolled and so on, so that the standard errors are large. So it could be that it's not not effective, it, but it could be that it's very it's even more effective than a sixty percent reduction. But the median was sixty percent. The mean the, the mean effect was sixty percent reduction in death. It looks very promising to me. I can't say for sure that it works uh, because we don't have a large definitive trial. Why don't we have a large definitive trial? That's the scandal, Bill. 
the the US NIAID, the, the, the agency that, that uh, Anthony Fauci runs, actually they're responsible for uh, investing research money. Why haven't they not, it's in 18 months of the epidemic, why have they not run a large trial on these cheap drugs? Uh, they've run, they've, they've supported the, the Gilead trial on, on remdesivir. Right. And now remdesivir is a patented drug which is very expensive. Uh, as best I can tell, it was promised as a miracle cure, but it's, I mean, it's marginally effective at best. Um, you, you don't, the, the purpose of these agencies like the NIH and the NIID is to solve a problem. The problem is these, these one of these problems that they solve is like the, these cheap medications have no big uh, interest behind them to, to test, right? Right. If suppose ivermectin works, well, it's incredibly inexpensive, uh, off patent, easy to, you know, easy, I suppose, and, and, and it would be uh, essentially, uh, it would gut the the demand for many many of these patented medicines that they're like remdesivir for instance would, would disappear i think um if if, you, if it were to work the the job of the nih is to ex explore and set up studies of things like this we should we should have had already by this time 10 randomized studies of of these kinds of medications it's not just ivermectin i've seen i've, I've seen uh, suggestions like fluvoxamine, a whole range of other drugs that might work and that we don't have large randomized evaluations for. The NIH has supported the development of the vaccines, which is a great success, but it has not supported exploration sufficiently for whether these early treatments work. And I don't know why, I don't, I don't have a good reason for why. And the fact that they haven't is a scandal. Yeah, would you uh, put proxalutamide in that same category, Jay? It's a, I understand it's a drug. I think Kintor Pharmaceuticals in China uh, manufactures it, but I don't think any country has approved it so far. But again, it would just sound like it just seems to me this: if you can find drugs around the world that might show promise, I think what you're saying here is let's test them here in the yeah, US. Let's test them. I I don't actually know the evidence for that, Bill. So I should probably right. shouldn't say anything about that particular drug. Uh, the ivermectin looks promising to me. I'm, you know, I'm not an expert in the early treatment, so I it, you can okay. you can talk to others. But but I what I do know is how to read these randomized studies. They look promising for some of these drugs. Uh, I don't think there's a, a definitive evidence yet, but there really ought to be. There's let's let's okay. let's do these studies. I mean, the the, the, the disease is going to be with us for a long time, forever. Right. Oh, now, why my, not? now, my final dummy question for you, Jay, and I appreciate your patience this morning. Uh, therapeutics, hydro, um, hydroxychloroquine in particular. Uh, the evidence that I've seen thus far is that in the, in the large, like the larger studies find no, no efficacy, especially later in the disease. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Johnny Nidis, who's a colleague of mine, uh, probably the world's best epidemiologist, uh, he did a he did a meta-analysis which concluded that it did what it didn't it doesn't work. So uh, and that was actually seemed like a pretty well-conducted meta-analysis. So I think what was promising initially, it got politicized because President uh, Trump uh, sort right. of launched himself into it. Um, but uh, the, the, I don't think it's panned out as well as you might have hoped. Okay. Uh, so final question, Jay, uh, here we are in early August of 2021. Uh, where do you see us in August of 2022? I think it depends on the path we follow. Uh, we could follow a path where we declare victory and celebrate the, the great victories we already have had in scientific advances against this disease. Mm -hmm. uh, we we destigmatize the disease. We focus on, uh, on developing better evidence on early treatment uh, continue to protect the vulnerable who who can't be vaccinated for for uh, whatever medical reasons, and we don't we do, and we as a society return to the the sort of the 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 the, the normal ways that we deal with these diseases. Uh, I stop being 
asked to be on podcasts and things. Um, you know, and, and I can go back to just doing like regular research. Um, I think that's one, um, that's one path. The other path is that we continue this propaganda of fear mongering, this division, this, uh, this using of the disease as a way to score political points. Um, and to, and, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I could very easily see that we go going, going down that path of like, you know, uh, discriminating against people who, who've had the disease before and don't want to get vaccinated very reasonably um, and preventing them from, you know, we create a two-tier society of clean and unclean, right? We could also go down that path. That's a choice we have as a society. You know, we, we need to be very clear about where we're headed. Uh, we don't need to go down that second path, but I can see in the short term, the political uh, gains from to, 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 to going down that path may be overwhelmingly, but just like uh, alluring. Um, but I hope that folks who, who push that path understand where we're headed. It's not necessary for disease control. So going back to the aforementioned FDRJ, are you telling us that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? Fear itself yeah. I think that's true right now. Okay. Uh, Jade Parajaria, thank you very much for tolerating the very layman questions that I put you through today. Uh, Delta for dummies. I I hope you could uh, tolerate the questions. I hope they were. Oh, it was a really good conversation. I thank you for having me. It was. Uh, I enjoyed the podcast. And uh, well, you know, you're having your 15 minutes here. It's uh, it's a mixed blessing, I guess. You, uh, you lasted probably... 18 months, Bill. When does it end? When does it end? <laughs> that was only 15 minutes long. <laughs> well, what I like to hear is that you actually want to go back to a more normal life than uh, having to endure podcasts with me and hits on TV and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, and I think that's the key question here, Jay. When is this going to end? And I think that's probably part of the dismay you see right now, especially among people who've been vaccinated wearing masks. It's, you know, and I think maybe the president played into this as well. And uh, and our governor in California declaring victories when we reopened on June 15th here in California and then his independence day declaration. And, you know, here we are five, six weeks again and it feels like we're just back into what we we're going through last summer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not necessary. So I, I hope they, I hope they come to their senses. Okay, Jay Bhattacharya, again, thanks for the time. Uh, good having you on, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. You've been listening to Matters of Policy and Politics, a Hoover Institution podcast devoted to governance and balance of power here in America and around the free world. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover, I-N-S-T. Uh, I mentioned our website at the beginning of the broadcast. That is www.hoover.org. And while you're there, do yourself a favor and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Hoover's colleague, uh, my Hoover colleagues, your inbox weekdays. Uh, I would also reference, by the way, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya wrote a wonderful piece for Hoover's Eureka uh, web channel. Uh, not too long ago, explaining uh, COVID in California and contrasting it to Florida. So go check that as well. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Matters of Policy and Politics. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll do our best here at the Hoover Institution to help you stay informed. So long. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.